0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to 11. Today it is just me, Nathan Bell, and Greg in the hot seat.
1: Yes, but a lot more room in this booth today. I know, right? I'm stretching out my legs. It feels good.
0: <laughs> Got a little bit a uh, little bit more leg room, a little bit more elbow room, relaxing in here. Um, so today we're going to be talking about Greg's first book that he wrote, You Are the Treasure That I Seek, but there's a lot of really cool stuff out there. And um, we'll be discussing uh, C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, in the context of the idea of witches and wizards within their book, um, as well as uh, the sermon from yesterday, Fearing God as Our Father. Um, so, Greg, we're just going to start talking about your book. Um, why don't you go ahead and just give a um, brief summary of the book?
1: Yes. Uh, first, Nathan, I think what will lead into that well is I would also like to say I am wearing pants today. That never came up. <laughs> that never came that, up. That in the, didn't. In the last podcast with Jeff Kratz, he couldn't appreciate it because he was phoning in from Alaska. That's right. But you could appreciate sitting with me in this booth.
0: And, and I appreciated that we were the only two in the yeah. booth last week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is true that I was not wearing pants while i was podcasting with you last week that's right uh but i was wrapped up in a blanket yes
0: now let's give a little context for why you weren't wearing pants i
1: think it's better with no context no, no context let's, okay no, let's, no, no, let's, no, no. let's just leave it out there that's probably you're right uh you know the few listeners we have we would like to keep them and make sure they keep coming back uh yeah on the way here uh, as is our custom i stopped by wawa and, and picked up a couple of subs so nathan and i could Enjoy a little dinner before we got rolling, and uh, in the Wawa, I picked up a two-liter of uh, Coke Zero. Yep, it slipped out of my fingers, crashed to the floor, and it literally exploded like a bomb. Uh, so all the Wawa customers got a big charge out of that, and the employees were happy. Uh, and it literally drenched my jeans from top to bottom, and uh, it was embarrassing. Fortunately, it was the back rather than the front, which would have been more. Well, I don't know.
0: I think yeah. either way. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, you got a problem either way. You've got a depends problem either way. (laughs) Uh, And it was freezing. You know, here we are in the middle of uh, the winter of our discontent. And I came in and uh, thought, wow, we got a big blanket in the sanctuary covering our TV soon to be uh, mounted on the wall next week. And uh, just uh, took off my pants, wrapped myself in the blanket, and uh, thought it would just be the two of us here. That's
0: right. And uh, normally it is Tuesday. Normally it's quiet. There's no one in here. And we ended up uh, having to call... uh, Josh in to come and help us with something, and he ended up bringing his girlfriend. Yes, his girlfriend,
1: (laughs) Hope, a lovely young lady came in, and uh, I'm sure will never come back. (laughs) And then a little later on, we had a special Easter quartet that's been practicing, and one of the singers brought their wives, who has never been into CFC and met the pastor with no pants. That was good. That, <laughs> that was good. That
0: was that was the start to the uh, podcast evening.
1: Yes, it was a pantsless podcast. But today, you see I'm wearing That's pants. right.
0: You have pants. And, and it, to cap it off, the end of the evening was even better when you left your pants outside and went out to get them. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, and they were frozen solid. <laughs> Not a smart move to put out your pants too dry in a 14-degree <laughs> evening when they're soaked with Coke Zero. So... Uh, but yeah, you had a qu- what about uh, the book or something? Oh yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. We were we were talking about something like
0: that. Yeah. So uh, just just a quick summary. What? Um, why write this book?
1: Yeah, yeah. Or r- why write anybody? Yeah. Like, why... See, I thought Nathan, in your setup, you were going to say we're going to compare three authors in the same class: J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis. And Greg and Dutcher. And Greg Dutcher. Um,
0: I, I thought that would be unfair to those yeah.
1: two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they had a little more time, if they lived a little bit longer, they would That's have right. reached my, my level, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I wrote that book, Nathan, in, um, wow, I actually started it, this is hard to believe, in 2002. It didn't come oh, out until okay. 2009, and it's not like it's a long book. Uh, yeah, I think I've told you before, Lisa and my oldest daughter, Samantha, they, they keep me humble. Uh-huh. They look at my three <laughs> books. Sometimes they hold them up and they'll say, well, Sam will say, look, mom, if you put all three of dad's books together, it almost equals one real book. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's, that's nice. That's nice to get that affirmation. That's right. Uh, but I started it in 02. Um, I was at my former church at that time. Um, Lisa actually had a miscarriage uh between our first and second child um on mother's day it was it was painful we were going through a difficult season in the church at that time there was a elder that sadly was being removed um hard time and i i sort of got in touch with maybe the nature of what idolatry is mm-hmm. uh i had always thought that uh, idols were the stuff you read in national geographic you know the uh, you know, totem poles in a jungle right. somewhere, uh, some sort of figurine that had been crafted out of wood or stone that tribal people were worshiping. And while that's certainly true, I guess I viewed idolatry as an Old Testament issue. Um, and through a long series of events, I sort of got in touch with, you know, idolatry was, was anything that would pull my heart into a direction where Christ was, was not my sort of all-consuming passion. And yeah. Yeah. So that's that's how it was born, uh, started it. I think I wrote like what became the first chapter in 02, Moved up to Harvard County to plant our current church, yep. uh, Christ Fellowship, um, and uh, you know had my own experiences there and sort of returned to it maybe in 07, 08. Okay, finally uh, was picked up by a little publisher, uh, Discovery House, known for Our Daily Bread, um, who uh, you know published it, and that was the story.
0: Very cool. Um, now I you know we'll kind of start and work our way through there's a couple things that I want to touch on with the book um the first thing is the title because I got to tell you um when I first saw the book like the first thing that came to my mind was that little section but there's a lot of cool stuff out there yeah and and immediately something just jumped into my head i mean i'm thinking video games movies yeah. it's like it's not the you are the treasure that i seek it's there's a lot of cool stuff out there. Right, right. Um, and so were, were you actually involved in helping make the title, or was that um, something that your publishers kind of pulled from and decided, you know, this is... Yeah,
1: yeah I would say I've, I've written three books, mm-hmm. and I've never been able to name the title, Okay, uh, which is fine. I mean, they, they tend to know what better titles are. That one was going to be called The Idolatry Syndrome, Okay. which Lisa says is a terrible title. <laughs> she said if she'd ever seen that in a bookstore, she would say, what is that? And just pass it, pass it on by. Um, and then if we talk about the other books later, I'll, I'll get into those. I think it was actually the title of the first chapter uh, mm-hmm. that uh, the publisher said, hey, let's use that as the title. Thought it okay. maybe captures more of what the book's about, You know, sort of the hook to the potential reader. Um, and I described there in the, in the intro or the first chapter, it's hard to believe now. That I was actually reading a, a magazine article that was talking about the new iPhone. Oh, and I think okay. this yeah, was, yeah. I don't know if it was the original or maybe it was, uh, I think the iPhone came out in 07. So this is probably like the 3G. Sure. Uh, you know, which now is old school. You right. Know? I mean, people use it as a paperweight. But um, I, I, I remember reading about it and being interested and then pulling out my laptop back then and Googling it looking up everything I could, tech blogs, articles, yep. you know, marketing, when it might come out, what features it might have, things that, you know, interest me. You know, I'm still that sure, way, Nathan. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a gadget geek. And, um, you know, nothing wrong with that until I looked and realized I'd probably spent the better part of three to four hours. Yeah. Oh yeah. Of my <laughs> afternoon <laughs> researching it. And I thought, man, I wonder if I'm maybe a little beyond fixated right. with this thing. Um, And, you know, sort of used it as a window. Hey, don't we all struggle with this issue? Yeah. Stuff, not necessarily intrinsically evil stuff. Right. Uh, It's easy to say, hey, drugs and, um, you know, sexual sin and these things are are idols. Mm -hmm. And they certainly are and certainly have that power. But but the good stuff. Right. uh, Or what we would call neutral stuff. Sure. Can grab our hearts and take our focus off of Christ. Sure.
0: Um, Now, this was... 2009 that you wrote this, um, six years ago. So I'm assuming, um, as with any author, any book, things have changed for you. Not, not maybe, you know, completely, but looking back on the book, what might you, um, keep the same in terms of the content? What might you change?
1: Yeah. I'm so glad you asked him that, Nathan. Um, it would look very different if I wrote it today. I mean, I think the same essential message would be there, it's ironic. The book that I'm happiest with of, of my three mm-hmm. is actually the second one, uh, mm-hmm. which is the one on Satan. But you know, Right, we'll, which we'll is the
0: it. one I actually use to teach in my classroom. Yes,
1: that's right. So. That's right. I, that's probably the one I feel best about in terms uh-huh. of I might make some changes, but the first one I would definitely make uh, changes. I, I think the effect uh, upon readers that I talk to, and I'll tell you, that's the coolest thing about it. You know, mm-hmm. when, when you write a book that, you know, it's going to have a small audience, being a small church pastor and not having a big publisher. Um, it, it opens up to some neat things. Like, sure. you know, I would get emails from readers. Sure. Know, because the publisher encouraged that. And that, that was my favorite part. And most of them were favorable. The one trend I noticed was uh, a lot of people felt guilty. Okay. And I, sure. You know, I mentioned that yesterday in the sermon. Yeah. I, yeah. I struggle with that. If I sure. err, I am gonna err on the side of maybe not bringing it hard enough. Yeah. But to be blunt, Nathan, that's where I'd rather err. Yeah. You know, we've talked before about uh, Luther's uh, uh, drunken image. horse. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. The the drunken peasant yeah. on a horse. You know, which. Dude, that could be a great podcast name too. Anyway, we'll <laughs> stick with these guys. drunken peasant. That'll be the next one. Wow, dude, that is awesome! <laughs> drunken peasant on a horse. That'll get some. Maybe
0: that'll story. be our subtitle when we talk about alcohol.
1: Yes. Hey, I like that, man. The drunken peasant on a horse, uh, alcohol amelanism, and pants on women. Something like that. Nice. We'll, <laughs> we'll cover, but the um, the you know uh, picture Luther has there just for anybody saying, what is this drunken peasant stuff, is that doing Christian life, doing theology, sure. thinking about God is sort of like a drunken peasant on a horse. He's walking down the alley, and uh, he is going to tip over to one side, yeah. so he's constantly readjusting, recalibrating his balance. Yep. So often you do that by overcompensating and going right. to the other side, and you're always looking for the middle. Right. You're looking for the balance. So uh, if I err, if uh, I tip over the horse, it's going to be to that side of not bringing it hard enough. Um, I think what I began to see people would ask me questions about is this idolatry? Is this idolatry? Sure. Is this idolatry? Sure. Almost a paralysis of analysis thing. I mean, here's the fact the way I see it, Nathan, we're always, even in our best moments, um, practicing idolatry the way I see it in some level. Oh, um, yeah, unless you ask a person, hey, like, and I'll ask you, Nathan. Uh, which moment in your life, which hour, just take a solid 60-minute period, sure. were you loving God with every fiber of your heart, soul, mind, and strength without a single uh, minuscule bit of contamination from sin? Oh, yeah, never. Yeah, you're right yeah, right. yeah, never, yeah, never. never.
0: I, I remember one time I was I was leading a uh, how to pray seminar yeah. for, for a group of students, and um, Uh, you know, I was like, okay, so we're, you know, we're just going to kind of separate for an hour and we're, you know, bring your Bibles with you and, you know, kind of pray through the word. And, you know, when you have a moment, you know, and of course, during this retreat, you know, everybody's tired. It's the next day we're all tired. So I remember like just leaning my head back and I start praying and, Next thing I realized, I got kids over me laughing because I'm snoring. Right. <laughs> yes. You know, so this noble, you know, event that's of, you know, awesome. we're going to pray and, you know, here's the leader just his head back snoring, wow. snoring away.
1: Dude, you had a chance to justify that though. <laughs> like Acts 2 right there, young men will dream dreams. That's right. And, I mean, you, <laughs> I, you were so riveted in your own prayer life. God
0: was speaking to me and I didn't want to interrupt <laughs> that.
1: Right. You were dreaming, man. <laughs> you, you had that chance. No, that's great. That's a great example. Yeah, you know, that is a a great example that in a great moment there's junk there. Yeah, you know, and, and there always is. I mean, yeah. I I know I've never preached a sermon where my motive was 100 percent purely for God's sure. glory. I, sure. It's hard to put a percentage on it. I think partly, Nathan, is what we're really saying is we're not glorified yet. Right. And right. I don't know if we're ever going to have a single act that is pure. So I think sometimes the implication is a, is a little too black and white for people. Yeah. Okay, so I don't want to be practicing idolatry. Yeah. So while I look back on yesterday and I wasn't practicing idolatry and today I probably did. Tomorrow I hope not right. to. I think it's more that as we're growing in increasing passion for Christ. Sure. We should see some progress. Sure. Uh granted it's it's hard to see. I tend to think of it that we need good friends, our wives to yeah. speak honestly. Hey, I have noticed that you you seem to care less about sports. You don't get yeah. rattled as much when your team loses as you did five years ago. Yeah, I mean, you probably still get rattled. Right, You're probably still struggling. So I think that if I could rewrite it, I don't know how exactly I would have tried to bring a little more of that uh, long-term, healthy, um, don't beat yourself up. Sure, kind of attitude to the book. I think the other thing, too, uh, looking back at it, and I looked at it uh, last night, because yep. I had a feeling we were talking about this today, um, I was, in many ways, popularizing John Piper. Okay. Um, because I, I tend to think John Piper, you know, who you know has influenced me greatly, yep. and, and one of my favorites, and I think always will be, he would say that he's a popularizer of Jonathan Edwards. Well, I tend to think Edwards is way above my head Sure. Often Piper's way above my head, so hey, maybe I'll stay in my own head and popularize Piper. So I, I admitted that. I even told the publisher that that you know I tend to think I find some people find Piper's writing a little too heady. Yeah. Um, I won't be accused of being heady. <laughs> uh, maybe being a little under the uh, the uh, bar. So. I would probably try to put a little more Dutcher into it, okay, uh, which sounds weird. yeah uh, than trying to popularize Piper.
0: Yeah, and, and I think um, having having read the three books that you've written that I, w- I would agree with that that yeah. this one was the most um, unlike you in huh. its yeah. tone yeah. than the other two were.
1: Yes. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that, Nathan. Yeah, that's uh, that's good. And uh, maybe did that book sell more? the first one? Probably. No, I don't know. Uh, I'm just saying, yeah, people... Which is the one least like Greg? That's the one... Right, that right. That's the one that's going to sell. No, I, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I think that's probably common. I mean, uh, you have a chance to write a book and, and get an audience and a publisher behind you, and you, you tend to... I mean, I was nervous about it. You know? Yeah. So you, oh, yeah. Piper's safe. He's helped me a great deal. How can I somewhat popularize what he's written? Sure. I mean, my own stuff was there. Sure. But um, I think it would probably have a different flavor.
0: Sure. So just kind of break in, um, we are talking about the book, You Are the Treasure That I Seek, but there's a lot of cool stuff out there, Lord. Um, and there, there is one section in here that um, if, if you do end up going back and updating this book, um, that I, I hope you'll keep in. And um, it's in chapter seven. I was actually looking through it last night as well. Yeah. Um, And it's this little breakup in there, and it's the section called Relax, These Things Take Time. And you talk about um, this woman in your church after you just preached the sermon on Paul who came up to you, and she just, you know, she couldn't figure it out in the... um, you were preaching out of Philippians three seven and eight. Uh, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. So Paul is just in this moment where he's like, I don't care about anything except Jesus Christ. Yeah. And you talk about this woman just feeling so guilty that she she can't get to this place. Yeah. Um, and and I don't think you mentioned how old this this woman um, was, but uh, you know, from the sounds of it, from the tones of it, middle aged. Yes. Yeah. Um, she was in her fifties. So, um, you know, and you just you gave this great response. And um, ironically enough, uh, it was scripture, something that we don't do often enough. Yeah. And it was Philippians four twelve. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, and that concept of Paul learning yes. to get there. Yes. Um, and so just comment on that
1: a little bit. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Nathan, because I probably would have forgotten that. I, <laughs> that's not what I came across last night when I skimmed it. But yeah, I, I remember that moment too vividly. And I think I can say her, her name was Margie. Um, and it was just a wonderful woman, uh, who I've not seen for a number of years, had a real heart for God, uh, really wanted to grow, uh, spiritually and to be able to show her, Hey, look at what Paul said. He learned this. Mm-hmm. This is a seasoned apostle by that time, perhaps had been at it for at least 30 years. Yeah. Uh, and here he is, um, saying, these are things that I've learned, which I take to mean there was a period in his Christian life, not his pre-Christian, life, right, where he didn't know this the way he now knows it, and so I asked her. I said, "Hey, just out of curiosity, Margie, uh, you know how do you how do you rank to the Apostle Paul in spiritual maturity?" <laughs> you know, which everybody sort of chuckles at as as you just did, and I do. Uh, yeah, I say I'm probably a little bit lower. Yeah, <laughs> um, and of course she said that, and I said, "So if the great Apostle Paul, who saw Jesus the ris- the, the risen Christ on the uh, road to Damascus," who had powerful experiences of deliverance, who Mm -hmm. saw countless people come to Christ in faith, miracles, uh, who knew the early uh, church leaders like Peter and and John, Um, if it took him this long to learn this, it wasn't his by birthright, it wasn't his by an automatic download the moment he was saved, he learned it. Um, What does that say about you and me? And it was so good, Nathan, to see her relax. And it's interesting that you say that that is in the book. I wish there was more of it.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. Uh,
1: it would, to go back to my earlier point, that I wish there was a, a greater sense of the marathon nature of the Christian life. Sure. Because I think sometimes books are, man, I'm practicing idolatry. How do I stop now today? Right, right. Uh, and that leads to the you know kind of three
0: tips and techniques. Sure, sure, um, which so, lasts for all of two days. And then you're like, exactly. Uh, p- we the idols.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. These quick fixes, as we know, are, are never quick and they're never really a fix. So um, the, the idea that these seasoned people of God, like Paul, learned these things, I take so much comfort in that. Yeah. Uh, because if they had to learn, what do we think is going to happen to us?
0: Yeah. No, that's so great. Um, and so just once again, you are the treasure that I seek, but there's a lot of cool stuff out there, Lord. Um, you know, and, and I did, I enjoyed the book. Um, and, uh, it was great. And I think, um, I think it's great too. I, what's neat about your books is they are shorter. Yes. Um, and not that that's good or bad, but it's neat because um, I was able to actually use the second one in my classroom. I actually hadn't read this one yet. Yes, I read the second one first, then the third one. Then I went back and read this one afterwards, actually, when we started talking about the podcast stuff. Yes. And you were like, yeah, we should probably promote these books every once in a while. Um, and that's when I went back and, and read through it. Um, and, and what's great is they have these study questions. Yes. Um, now, you are not... Practical person in terms of putting practical things out there for people in your teaching. You know, right. do this, do that. So, is is are the questions something that you uh, helped with, or is that something that your publishers said, okay, we want to stick these in there, and we're going to find someone who you know is familiar with your book and they can help do that?
1: Yes, interesting. Uh, the the oh, I, as I've said, before, I hate writing questions. Like yeah. Currently, right now, even in church, I do write the community group questions uh, based on our sermons. Um, I'm doing that because Mark Sweeney, our executive pastor, is so busy right now doing some things temporarily with youth and children uh, that he just doesn't have the time. So I, again, probably because I have this aversion to getting so practical, because I don't want to be legalistic, as we've talked about in some prior podcasts, uh, probably to a fault, which I would admit... It's a good discipline for me. So uh, the first two books, the publisher wanted questions. The third one, they actually did not. Okay. That's the one I would have been more happy about writing, but we'll get to that some other time. Um, So, yeah, I wrote those study questions, um, and and they were helpful. Actually, Lisa, my wife, helped me with those Mm -hmm. because I said, I mean, you know, I said, Lisa, how do I apply chapter one? She goes, well, you wrote it. I said, I know. <laughs> I said, I don't know how to apply it. How do I apply chapter two? And uh, she was great. I remember writing places, and uh, you know, we, we would just bounce ideas back and forth. Um, so if there's any value there, that really is Lisa uh, mm-hmm. that, that put those questions out there. And I I do hope they help people because I think yeah. they're good diagnostic tools to, mm-hmm. to sort of see, oh, yeah, wow, yeah, that is idolatry at work in my
0: yeah. life. Well, what I thought was great was, um, you know, particularly in terms of... Because it, it's it's hard to self-diagnose. Yes. You know, because you can look at the questions and you can answer honestly, but there's no one there to keep you accountable. Yes. Um, so being able to do that in a classroom with your second book was actually really interesting because this is in a class in front of people. And so students who really wanted to take it seriously were able to yes. And they were able to kind of work through some misconceptions that they had and, and, and able to, you know, uh, help each other work through those things. Right. And so I think that's where the value is not so much in the questions, but in the, the community and the life and, and asking those questions. Yes.
1: Which I think, I think Matt Smith made that point here. Uh, see Matt, I'm giving you props (laughs) way, way back. Our second podcast, you know, way back. That's right. Now now that we're at five, I know, uh, but that remember, was several
0: weeks ago. If you think about it, it was. It was. <laughs>
1: it feels like a long time ago. I know. And I remember him saying he thought that application. I thought it was. A, I've actually thought about this a lot. Is best done in community. Yeah. Uh, I think the 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 freedom of expression of a group of people to share ideas, let those questions nuance each other, challenge each other, sharpen each other, is the best possible way to do application. Because yeah. you're right. When I apply in my own, me myself and I vacuum. Right. I mean, who knows what I'm doing. Right. I might, I
0: might apply correctly, but at the same time, there's nobody there to keep me in check and to keep reminding me
1: of that. Agreed. Agreed. And I'm sure if somebody else was invited into that, say, you know, Greg, it seems like your default is to always go here. Yeah. And that's good, but have you considered this area? Yeah. Have you considered your marriage as opposed to your your job? Have you considered your children as opposed to your hobbies? Those are the things that a community of people, I think, can help us do better than we can ourselves.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. Um, so w- I think we actually spent a good bit of time. We're going to move into our second topic, um, discussing uh, C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien.
1: The lesser writers.
0: That's right. Let's do the, it. The ones, the, lo- the one's a little lower on the totem pole. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I, I do have to say, Nathan, this is where I, I'm going to put this out. I don't think I've mentioned this. R.C. Sproul, mm-hmm. who I've learned a great deal from. Uh, years ago, I was listening to him talk about apologetics. It was an interview. And uh, somebody asked him in this interview, what do you think of C.S. <clears throat> Lewis? Because you haven't mentioned him as an influence mm-hmm. in your apologetics writing. And uh, Sproul just said, rather matter-of-factly, well, he's written a couple of good children's books, but I've never gotten anything out of him in terms of apologetics. <laughs> That's that to say. Are you serious? Maybe maybe the greatest apologist in the last century in the English speaking world. Right. Nothing? No. no. Not, not not a single thing. <laughs> That's not a slam on RC. It's just sort of a a shocking right um, revelation that there's nothing he got out of mere Christianity. I mean, even the trilemma liar, lunatic, Lord, nothing. Right. right. There's nothing of value that he has passed down. <laughs> anyway, just had to say that because I've been looking to, and I'm sure that uh, you know the mass of people listening to this are immediately emailing RC. Spock, I
0: know, right? So,
1: just what were to you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That was laughs> one of my favorite moments.
0: Oh, uh, that's great. Um. The, the specific topic we're going to talk about in regards to those two, though, is going to be witches, wizards, yeah. um, sorcery. Uh, there are a lot of Christians out there. I, as I told you, I had a friend over the house just recently this past weekend, great guy, one of, one of my uh, best friends growing up, was my um, teacher in seventh grade, guidance counselor in high school. He was in my wedding, so known him for years, and um, b- very conservative. Yes. and so he, we were talking about Harry Potter, and Joy and I were just talking about how much we we enjoy the Harry Potter books, right. um, how much we you know just we watch the movies, enjoy the movies, um, and he was like, oh yeah, I just I can't get past the whole witchcraft and and you know the, the spell casting and things like that, and then he ended up bringing up Lewis and Tolkien, right? You know, as as Christian men, and you know people are a lot more sketchy when it comes to Tolkien um, sure. because of his. Uh, more liturgical upbringing. I think he was actually in the Catholic Church in England. I believe that's right. Um, but ironically enough, was also the one who led C.S. Lewis to Christ. Right. Right. Um, and so, w- without getting legalistic, how do we how do we express our views on this matter of uh, witchcraft and wizardry without being too legalistic about it, but also without, you know, saying, oh yeah, everything's permissible. So go out and start casting your spells. Um,
1: You mean, you mean that's wrong? Yeah. Okay. I I shouldn't Uh, do that. (laughs) Is that wrong? Uh, Great, great question, Nathan. I, um, I wish I could talk to you about Harry Potter, but because I'm a Bible believing Christian, (laughs) I know nothing of what you speak. Oh no, I'm sorry. Wrong, wrong audience. Uh,
0: So you weren't waiting for the midnight release of the book?
1: Uh, yeah, I probably was. Uh, no, I, I do th- uh, remember one time at Bethany Beach, the line was so yeah. long because it was coming out at that bookstore like in the summer sometime. Yeah. And uh, I was going to pop in there, but I chose the ice cream that night instead. I figure I can always get it later. You know, now with Kindle, man. You know, I mean, midnight release anytime on my couch. That's right. Is uh, is always good. Um, obviously, I think where you ended, are there people who practice true Anti-God, anti-Christian, we would say witchcraft. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, are the numbers of them uh, significant? Yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert on that. I'm not an anthropologist. I'm not a sort of world religionist. So I would say I don't know. I would suspect they're not particularly high. Right. This often comes up. A little preview of our late October podcast. I'm sure we will talk about Halloween. Yeah. I'm going to clear my throat. <clears> throat. How's that for... Live right. podcasting. Um, <laughs> we will uh, talk about that issue, I'm sure. But I'll just say for now, Nathan, that you know, to, to me, there are two Halloweens. So mm-hmm. when, when people link them together, I guess there are some uh, rather wacky folks that go out in the woods and, I don't know, carve pentagrams in the ground. Sure. Sacrifice pigs or whatever may happen. Um, I think the Halloween, the majority of American kids' yeah. experience is not that. I think it's dress-up candy day, right? Which, when I first heard, I think Jerry Seinfeld said that one time too. Just blew your circuits, right? There are people <clears throat> that will give candy for free by me dressing up <laughs> like Batman. I mean, that's like that's just that's utopia, right. for a Kid. So um, you know, I, I think we have to keep those things in context and say that there, there, yes, there are actual witches. There are actual people that practice these you know, dark arts, whatever we might call them. Uh, and then there's a whole other side of things that r- fall in the range of fiction yeah. and fun. Uh, I normally find that C.S. Lewis and Tolkien are the great ones to go to. Yeah, um, Tolkien, you're right, gets less press on his faith, uh, although I think it was there. I'm with you on that with him. Uh, certainly Lewis as well. But they had witches and all sorts of people practicing magic and, and, and that sort of thing. In the general category of good and evil, yeah, um, I think most people can discern the difference. Yep, uh, I think most people can tell this is a story. Uh, this is ultimately about good and evil, and magic is the medium through which the story is told. Yeah, it is not uh, a recipe for, as you said, casting spells and incantations. Right. So I think a lot of that comes down to the discernment of the reader, the viewer. I think parents have that responsibility with kids to say, "Hey, you know, this is a great story. This is this is fun." I mean, my kids enjoyed all the Narnia books yep. and the couple of movies that have come out. Um, so I, I think that is much of it. I, I'll, I'll squeeze this in as well, Nathan. This I think relates, and then if it doesn't, you just circle me back. Around. Sure. I've been talking about this with a friend recently. Um, a lot of times the argument goes, "Yes, but it desensitizes you. It normalizes evil." It trivializes it. It's interesting. Uh, there's a person in my life whose grandparents were actually, I mean, literally murdered on the Eastern Shore decades ago. Um, so I met this person in my life long after this happened. Yeah. They shared this horrific story with me. And I just remember feeling nauseated uh, that, wow, these two elderly people, sweet couple that had been married for many years, their house was broken into, um, and they were killed in their sleep. And my reaction to that true story is very different to watching somebody get killed on Breaking Bad. Yeah. Uh, Often people say, yeah, but if you watch that, you'll be desensitized. I can just say from my experience, I've not found that to be true. Yeah. Uh, For all the many murders I've seen in Die Hard or Breaking Bad or action hero movies, when I actually heard of real people, I'm just giving my experience. I don't know what else to do. I was not unaffected by it. I had a very different reaction. Sure. Because I knew, oh, the people dying in Die Hard, it's fictional. Right. It's not really happening. Right. Uh, People that are being killed in Halo or some kind of video game, it's not really happening. Uh, And I think most people can discern the difference between fictional evil and real evil.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think that's great. And I think... I think what we see with things like movies and video games too is um, our emotion toward them because we do get involved in them and and we do um, become emotionally attached to them and invested for that two hour block or whatever it is. But I think think the emotional reaction is a strong tell of what's going on inside. If I'm rejoicing when the bad guy comes out victorious and he's just slaughtered people, Well, I've got to examine my heart and find out why am I rejoicing at that? Yes. If I'm rejoicing when the hero comes out and, and things have been put to rights, right. I, I think there's a different scenario going on there as well. Sure.
1: Which, isn't that always who we root for? Yeah. The, the, the good guy. Yeah. Um, now, I will admit with modern literature, sort of the anti-hero, Sure. It, it gets confusing. But what I enjoy about that is you're asking questions. Is Walter White... A good guy or not? Sure. Uh, and I think you're asking questions from the right perspective, and they're interesting. They're engaging. Um, you know, it's clear in the uh, Tolkien books, the Lewis books, there's good and right. there's evil, right? And I think with children, with good parenting, we can help them see that, right? You know, and and help them understand, you know, who's good, who's not. Magic. And witchcraft, that's the medium through which this story happens to be told. The fictional medium. Yeah. Uh, The way a fairy tale would would, uh, use princesses and castles. Sure. Yeah, the Cinderella movie that's about to come out, which my... I mean, I got a six-year-old daughter named Ella. She is made for this movie right now. Sure, sure. And, oh, my goodness, there's a fairy godmother in it that's going to use magic. (laughs) We will be there, probably opening day for that one. Right, right. Because every time it comes on, she says, oh, Dad, I want to see that, I want to see that. I promised her we will. Uh, So I think, you know, I need to help my daughter make sure that she knows this is a story, it's fun. Um, There's not real magic that she's going to be practicing.
0: Sure, yeah, no, and and, and I think, too, that... um, I think we need to remember as Christians too that we we shouldn't be stepping on one another's freedoms in this matter. Right. You know, that that if I feel comfortable watching a movie or a show like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, that that's my decision. Yes. Um and, and it's okay to, you know, question that, but you know, ultimately if it doesn't bother my conscience, right. me and God, then leave it alone.
1: Yeah. And and the battle, Nathan, to uh that we all face sure or uh, it's about internal desires sure those are the things that we have to hold in check yeah I think sometimes we think if I can get the right list yeah of what things to watch what things to taste what things not to watch what things not to taste then I've somehow uh, found the arena where the battle takes it, that's not the arena yeah the arena is inside the heart yeah and it's a lot harder but it's a lot more authentic to take your heart before god with whatever we're consuming watching etc yeah. and take the issue there
0: yeah and actually that's that's perfect because that leads us into um our third and final topic which was the the sermon yesterday um we you were preaching on first peter 1 14 through uh 21 and we were talking about this idea of being holy as God is holy. And the, what we're going to focus on is that last part of um, where Peter's talking about God as our father and then tells us to to fear him yes. as a father. Um, so uh, let's just go ahead and, and discuss that a little bit. Um, just real quick, um, recap the sermon sure, um, so that people can get aware of the context of where we're going with this.
1: Well, I hope people that are listening right now they can stretch back. Just give me forty-five minutes, because <laughs> uh, that's I can never really summarize the service. No, I, th- I actually think I can in this one. Uh, first, it was fun to preach yesterday. and I think because we I hadn't done it for uh, many weeks. I know because yeah. we've had weather; it's been horrible, and we got two out of our three services in yesterday. Yeah, so that was great. That was that was fun. We were back in First Peter. Uh, I think message number six. Um, this is where Peter really gets nitty gritty, and his first command that he gave in verse 13 of chapter 1 is to hope, yeah. hope in the God who has rescued you. Uh, the second, what we might call practical command that he gives, is to not be conformed uh, to our former lusts yeah. uh, that characterized our life before we came to know Christ. So we we talked about practical holiness. Um, you know, uh, Peter quotes... Um, the word of God to Israel in the book of Leviticus, be holy uh, because I am holy. Uh, And then Peter adds to that this notion of um, be fearful, which is not what we tend to think of in connection to our father. He says, God our father is judging our works And therefore, live the time of your exile, the time we're outside of our final destination where our inheritance lies in heaven. Live that in fear. And I sort of pose the question, is that normally what you associate with the Father? I would tend to put fear, uh, I I would keep it in sync with passages that describe God as judge. Yep. Yep. Uh, Certainly, God is holy. Uh, God is righteous. God's hatred of sin. When I think of his fatherhood, my default is to go to security, assurance, peace, peace, uh, it's interesting that Peter has no qualms linking God's fatherhood with fear. So we talked about how does the fatherhood of God inform fear? Uh, or how should our fear um, be shaped in light of God being our Father? So uh, the I, I don't have it here, but a great little uh, paraphrase of a great definition. Uh, from R.C. Sproul was that he's not talking about the servile fear that a captive prisoner has to his torturer, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's much more a fear of respect, of disappointing yeah. a father that loves us and that we love. And I just think that's exactly what Peter was driving at. If God is our father, then what does fearing our father look like? And you know, I shared a couple of examples yesterday about my earthly father, my my dad, who I love very much. That you know, we reach that point, Nathan, where um, you know, uh, when we were little kids, and our parents said, "Oh, oh I'm disappointed." As right, I right, yeah. Day. We're like, "Yes, I still." <laughs> There's get no the real plan. punishment. There's no punishment. <laughs> disappointed? Who cares? Uh, but you know, you you reach a point where we all know it matters. Yeah. Where we begin to see our parents in a different way, and their disappointment registers, and is sometimes more devastating. Uh, something I didn't say yesterday that I wanted to. I remember uh, when I said something heinous to my mother, as I shared yesterday yeah. when I was 15, seeing my father's eyes and his disappointment in me that I would say something so heinous uh, to my mother who loved me and, and uh, has done so much for me. I, I wanted to be punished. Yeah. Please. And he didn't. And I, it, that would have been an easier yeah. um, consequence for me to deal right. with.
0: It would have been done and over with. Yes. and yeah. Yes. More like penance. Yeah.
1: It, it would have felt like, okay, you know, sort of the uh, self flagellation. I said that right. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't say flagellation. Right. Uh, wow. Of course I just did. Right. Yeah, the self flagellation. Uh, <laughs> I think it's uh. flagellation. I should have just said punishing yourself. That's right. Um, wow. Okay. We're done. Yeah. No, that, uh, it's <laughs> over. No, I'll, I'll try to get back to it. The. <laughs> The idea of uh, punishing yourself because, yes, bring it on, that ground me for a month, and and he didn't. I had to live with the fact that I know I let my mother down, I let my father down. In that relationship, there's no loss of I am just as much their son. They are just as much my parents. That relationship is unbreakable. So it informs the way I would fear them. Right. And even though, balancing all the biblical teaching, I have... uh, you know, leaved and cleaved or left and cleft. I never right. know how to say that. <laughs> um, you know, uh, when I married, and as Genesis uh, tells us to do, I do think that respect still needs to be there, of course, sure. for our parents. Uh, you know, there's no statute of limitations on it. So what does it mean to fear God that way? And, and to me, the fact of what he has done for us, yeah, uh, what he has done in giving us his son, uh, how could I um, live my life in a way that was so cavalier, yeah. That I I do not care uh, about his father's heart towards me, uh, may it never be. Yeah. Uh, so that that's what we were focusing on yesterday.
0: Yeah, and it it shows the the deepness of the relationship too. Because if your relationship with your parents wasn't great, I I remember teaching students who who would make comments about their parents and to their parents all the time, and they just didn't care because yeah. the relationship with their parents weren't there. And so, you know, the evidence of the relationship with God is is almost that. Devastation, okay. that 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 worry of disappointment, yes, in there,
1: yes, which is such a different experience than what we think of as you know fear of judgment. Yeah, I mean, obviously, First John tells us perfect love cast out fear, so we know we don't have that kind of fear. Yeah, uh, Romans eight one, no condemnation for those in Christ. So it's not a fear of His hammer falling, but the uh, I think an old Puritan said that the frown of His countenance, yeah, uh, is is something that is incredibly motivating to me. It's it's freeing in in the sense that I'm not earning anything, right? But that my life would express such gratitude, such joy, such contentment in Him mm-hmm. um, that uh, I think of Him as my Father, and I think of a situation where by His grace, you know, I have wow, well, it's hard to believe, pleased Him, sure, because of His grace at work in my life, and uh, you know, I think of the joy I get when I see my kids. Wanting to please me in a healthy way, yeah, you know, not to get something, yeah, but just because they're my kids, and as they grow, uh, you know that that just adds more and more joy to experience of a dad, and to think of God in those terms, I think is helpful.
0: Yeah, um, kind of tying in the the the, the past couple uh, topics, how do we then view? Um, view things in our lives uh such as if we're watching breaking bad you know you've gone through the whole series i'm working my way through um through the series now your sanctification is almost complete that's right keep <laughs> going, keep going. <laughs> so how do we how do we then look at that and justify that when god says be holy as i am holy yes. when we're looking at something that's clearly not holy right you know and we're letting that um enter into our minds yeah. how how do we live that out? Yeah. how do How do we rationalize that, so to speak?
1: Yeah, it, huge question, Nathan. And it's it, interesting. The elders, uh, you know, uh, uh, and I were just at the Ligonier Conference, as I mm-hmm. mentioned last week in Orlando. One message uh, most of us were pretty unhappy with uh-huh. uh, because I thought it was too neat and tidy, black and white, uh, and sort of focused the battle uh, for our hearts on the external thing sure. rather than the internal sure. thing. Uh, I would say this is not just a question for the TV watcher like I am, like you are. It's yeah. a question for the English major. Um, you know, in a sense, we if you read Shakespeare, if you read D.H. Lawrence, if you read uh, Faulkner, yeah. you're going to read some pretty raunchy stuff. Sure. Uh, so in a sense, could you picture a uh, young Christian wanting to please, because I'm not going to be an English major because I don't want to read any of these books that have this sort of dark, boning stuff in it. What would we say about those books? Those writers that I mentioned, I don't know as much about Lawrence, but uh, Shakespeare, Faulkner, uh, are probably worth reading. Uh, They have uh, written very important stories, written important books. So I'm not trying to say, in all seriousness, oh, you have to go out and watch Breaking Bad. I truly believe that that particular show, for me, Mm -hmm. this is just me, is is shakespeare like it is shakespearean in its tragic sense it's incredibly well written incredibly well acted uh which which to me i there's a draw for me on that i can see that becoming another podcast nathan Uh, but again i would say this the 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 battle in my heart is the issue sure i can say this if i am watching anything yeah by the grace of god if i sense my heart wanting to sin Wanting to uh, exact revenge, where I know God has clearly said no. Yeah. If I sense my my heart longing after a woman other than my wife, if I sense my heart is discontent with God's provision, and I'm greedy and I want more, that's where the battle lies, and yeah. I will make by His grace again the appropriate decision. Sure. Uh, so I think the question for each person it's sort of like you know the should I go to the beach. Um, Because there's women that are dressed, you know, uh, very scantily and that sort of thing. I think each individual Christian man has to ask that question. Right. I think the answers will be different depending on the person. Sure. So I would say there's a lot more to say about this issue. Right. But that's where it starts. Yeah. Uh, That issue is where it begins.
0: Yeah. No, and and I think that's a great point. And I think and, and uh, maybe this is where we'll get into a hot topic. We had been talking about that. Maybe we'll get into an argument on this. Maybe not. But I think um, for as thought-provoking as the what would Jesus do question is. Yes. Maybe we're asking it in the wrong context. Because when, when we ask that question, I understand the the drive behind it. But the reality is Christ came here for a specific goal and purpose. Yes. And that was to die for our sins. Yes. And so when we ask the question, well, would, would Christ sit there and watch it? Well, no, because to me, that detracts from what he was here to do. His mission was, was very clearly to die for humanity. Our mission here on earth is very different than his, if, if you agree with that. Oh, sure, and, sure. And, and yeah. so- I
1: mean, ultimately, right. his was the unique mission right. to die for the sins of the world. And ours is obviously related to that, but it's certainly not the same. Yeah,
0: and so asking, you know, what would Jesus do in the context of everything we do in life, I think I think that's wrong almost because God created us uniquely apart from Christ to accomplish different goals and have different missions, even apart from one another. What we do, you as a pastor, me as the manager of a liquor store, right, right. Um, And so, uh, you know, when when we say what would Jesus do. I think the answer should always be glorify God. Right. And so if, if we can sit there and we can watch Breaking Bad, we can read these books, we can play these video games, and we know we can glorify God, we can, we can drink, we can smoke, and we can glorify God, then, then yeah, that's what we should be doing.
1: Right, right. And I, and I would say, Nathan, too... Um, <sighs> You know it's been asked not just what would Jesus do, we can also ask what did Jesus do? Sure, so I'll throw this out as a teaser, okay, and then we might come back to it. Jesus was the friend of sinners, he was accused of partying hard, yes, uh, we know that from the testimony of the Gospels. What kinds of conversations did Jesus over here, yeah, participate in, obviously without sin, we know that, yeah. I would be, oh, boy, if I could get a five-minute tape, yeah. tape <laughs> and understand Aramaic. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. Or have the English subtitles. <laughs> I would love to know what those gatherings look like. Yeah. Steve Hartland, who was here a couple of weeks ago, I remember said to me, and I just love this, he said, Jesus is the friend of sinners. He pictures some guy um, on the street seeing Jesus walk across the street with his... Uh, apostles, telling his buddy, "Hey, remember that guy I told you about? That's Jesus. He, he's my buddy. He's my friend. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, friend of sinners. Um, what did that look like? What did that involve? See the suspense I've built.
0: There, there. you go. Maybe we'll that go will be. Yeah, that will be. That will be a podcast for the future. Um, so we're gonna go ahead and actually um, end on that note. I think we're doing good on time because we want to make um, just a couple quick." uh announcements for the podcast. Um one of the things we want to do, Greg, as we're building popularity, um, you know, going from two to three listeners. Amen, man. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Aunt Bertha. <laughs> I don't have
1: an Aunt Bertha. Uh,
0: yeah. It just sounded yeah. good at the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much what we do here. You know, whatever comes into our head, exactly. we're unfiltered. Um, but just real quick, what is what is the goal?
1: So we've Just had a great time getting together because I think so many Christians have conversations like this. We were having conversations like this, Nathan, for years. Yeah, yeah. And now it's just fun to put a mic on it, hear other people's thoughts, the way they interact, the way they agree or disagree. Yep. Uh, For me, this has been almost therapeutic because there are so many things that come up uh, on Sundays for me. Sure. I'm a man of many words, as people know, Uh, but I always want more words because there's so many things to discuss. So many things that a Sunday morning doesn't allow. I'm really hoping this podcast just becomes something that helps people feel like they're part of a greater conversation. Yeah. Um, uh, welcoming thoughts, and I, I did want to say I'll throw this out here, Nathan, that if people find this beneficial, you know, we want to have people begin to email us or Twitter us questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so I'll shamelessly self-promote my Twitter handle yep. that I've reignited is uh, Dutcher Faves. Because uh, that's all that was left. Uh, so, Dutcher F A V E S. I'd love to get questions. Sure. Um, and we
0: actually do have a Twitter for uh, that. These go to eleven, but I've um, been neglecting it uh, because I've been focusing mainly on the Facebook. Sure. So we'll make that announcement a little, um, sure. a little bit more in the future. Great. Um, so, and yeah, like you said, Greg, um, so we want to just invite, uh, the listeners out there. Um, if you like what we're doing, um, there's three things, uh, one of three things or all three things you can do to, to let us know, um, you know, leave a comment in, uh, the iTunes page. Um, you can post our link to your social media account, um, or go to, um, our Facebook page. These go to 11 and just let us know some things, uh, that you liked or disliked about it. Send us email. Um, or send us questions through any one of those things, the email, um, beholdingchristcfc uh, uh, at gmail.com. Um, so that will give you a way to email us. And you know we want to start interacting with more people who are listening out there yes. um, and get involved with them. So. Yes,
1: we're about to do our sort of IPO Yep. Um, with our church family here in a couple of weeks. Uh, so we'd love to build that sort of grassroots community and uh, would be very, very exciting. Yes. So we're trying to find that way of saying, don't annoy your friends on your social media outlet, but if that's what it takes, go for right, it. Right, right. absolutely.
0: <laughs> we're all about uh, shameless self-promotion. Shameless. <laughs> all right. So we're going to go ahead and sign off now. Greg, Cons- we just rocked the CASPA. Consider it sufficiently rocked.
1: These go to 11.